This podcast is brought to you by BMJ Best Practice. BMJ Best Practice offers evidence-based, continually updated and practical knowledge that will help you make better clinical decisions. Hello and welcome to this BMJ Best Practice podcast on constipation in children. Kieran Walsh is my name. I'm clinical director at BMJ. Constipation in children is common. High rates have been reported worldwide with studies showing the prevalence to be between 1 and 25%. In the US, childhood constipation accounts for approximately 3% of consultations in an average pediatric clinic. And constipation in children is more than just an inconvenience. It can cause pain, dehydration, anal fissure, and incontinence. So what can we do to help? To tell us, we have on the line Dr. Claire Zar Kessler, instructor in pediatric gastroenterology at the Massachusetts General Hospital for Children. And importantly, Claire is author of our BMJ Best Practice topic on this condition. So Claire, you're welcome. Let's start off by asking you to tell us about constipation in children. What are the key points? Yeah, thank you so much for having me. The most common presentation of constipation that people will present for is typically either kids who don't go to the bathroom very often, do not stool often. Um, The criteria that we usually use is two or fewer defecations per week, um, or those patients who are having very hard bowel movements um, or painful ones where the parents will say that they're in distress uh, when they have to pass a bowel movement um, or after passing a bowel movement. Um, And this can present with various other symptoms, including abdominal pain, blood in the stool, or um, as you had mentioned, fecal incontinence too. Okay, thank you. And and how do you kind of make the diagnosis um, and make sure it's not something else? So typically with constipation, we make the diagnosis just clinically uh, based on how the patient is presenting. And it is easier for us to try to make the diagnosis and treat and see how the patient responds. There are various diagnostic tools that can be used, but some of them are invasive or are, require exposure of radiation to the patient. So if the symptom presentation fits with what we think is constipation, we will frequently just treat for constipation. Um, so it's typically when the kid presents with either infrequent bowel movements or painful hard bowel movements, we will treat for constipation. Okay, thank you. And are there any alarm bells or red flags, might be a better word, um, that that might make you think, gosh, this could be something else other than constipation? That's a good question. The most common presentation is constipation. So that's what we always think about with these types of symptoms. In rare cases, it can be something else. Things that we think about that might lead us to think that there might be other um, aspects going on would be children who have had um, issues with defecation since birth, children who are losing weight, any other associated symptoms that indicate there might be some type of inflammatory process or illness, such as fevers, changes in um, neurological status or any other issues would make us want to explore things further. If it's really just the presentation with um, centered around GI issues without um, other significant associated symptoms, we will typically just treat for the constipation. Okay, thank you. And I wonder what would you say are the common pitfalls in making the diagnosis? 
Well, one of the most difficult issues with making the diagnosis is that a lot of it is based on parental um, reporting of the symptoms. And so it makes it difficult as a clinician and as a parent to know what is abnormal and what can be normal. Um, A lot of the symptom presentation is based on how the patient is acting. Are they, especially in the younger patients, do they seem to be in pain? Are they really having difficulty with passing stool? In the older patients, it's difficult too because a lot of the older patients are more private with how often they go to the bathroom. And so parents won't know how often they're actually passing a bowel movement or what the bowel movements look like because the patient won't tell the family. And so a lot of it is um, acquiring the history is probably the most difficult part in terms of determining what the actual diagnosis is. If you feel that you're getting an accurate history, either from the parent or the patient, and it seems to fit with um, the presentation of constipation, then the actual diagnosis is fairly easy. Okay, thank you. Uh, Let's move on to management. What's the mainstay of management of constipation in children? So that's a good question. In very mild constipation in a patient who's presenting for the first time to the doctor's office, typically the things we would try to do is just change behaviors and diet. And a lot of times that can help many of these patients. So things that we would focus on would be increasing fiber in the diet. Uh, We always encourage fruits and vegetables. Um, Sometimes we do add some fiber supplementation, depending on how much variety there is in the child's diet. Another thing that um, helps with movement of the gut in general is movement of the body. And so I always encourage parents and patients to increase their activity level, particularly if they're having a sedentary lifestyle. These days, uh, a lot of kids may spend a lot of time in school or sitting um, in front of the computer or the television. And so to make sure that there's an activity level will also help with movement of the gut. So that's typically where we start off with in patients who present. In terms of diet and the younger patients, we'll sometimes add in prunes, pears, some fruits that we think might help with passage of stool uh, and softening of stool. Uh, that would be our first line of management. Beyond that, we start to think about medication options that might be useful for patients. The most common medication that we frequently use is polyethylene glycol, and that is called an osmotic agent. And the uh, role of polyethylene glycol is to increase the fluid content of the stool. Um, And so a lot of these patients who are having hard, large bowel movements benefit from increased water or fluid in the stool to make it easier to pass and not as painful. Uh, And so that's where we use polyethylene glycol frequently. There are other Similar medications such as lactulose will act in a similar way uh, that we'll frequently use in patients. There's also another class of medications that we frequently use if polyethylene glycol doesn't work, uh, and this is the class of, called stimulants. Typically includes bisacodyl and senna, and these are medications that act uh, to contract the colon and help move stool along through the colon. They can be sometimes associated with more abdominal pain or cramping because they stimulate the colon. But I do find that they are helpful in patients, particularly younger patients who we think may not want to poop or are withholding their stool because they're afraid of stooling. This will help uh, push things along to help them pass the stool when needed. Okay, thank you. And I wonder, are there any recent advances in management? So in terms of management, 
the basic management that I just mentioned has been used for many, many years. There are newer medications that have become available over the past five to 10 years that are frequently used in the adult population, but are more commonly being used in pediatrics and more significant cases in those patients who aren't responding to the typical uh, interventions that we are providing. Um, So these are prescription medications that in more severe cases are available and are frequently used in adults. And in the years coming forward, there are more medications coming through the pipeline um, that will likely be used in pediatrics too. Okay, thank you. And could you give us some examples of of those? Yeah, of course. So common examples are um, lubiprostone um, is a medication that's been around for some amount of time. And linaclotide is a newer medication that was approved in the past five to 10 years that's approved in adults, not approved in pediatrics at this point, um, although may be used more frequently in pediatrics in very necessary cases. And then there's a third medication that's been around called prucalipride. That's also a prescription medication that is uh, used in um, patients who have significant constipation who aren't responding to the typical measures. Okay, thank you. And and in terms of drug treatments, what would you say are the main side effects of drug treatments, of the various drug treatments you've mentioned? With the polyethylene glycol, we feel that this is the safest medication um, and also the most mild on the body. Just by the way it works and that it just retains water in the colon, we don't think it's absorbed into the bloodstream and we don't believe that it will build up and cause significant systemic side effects. And so we feel very comfortable using it. There are patients who report that they have more um, bloating with it as it may release more gas in the GI tract maybe some abdominal pain, but most patients at lower doses would tolerate this medication fairly well. In terms of the stimulants that I mentioned, the Senna and the Bisacodal, those medications are known to cause uh, cramping. Some patients seem to have more significant abdominal pain with it than others. Some patients report nausea or other GI complaints. This seems to fit with what you would expect would happen based on ha- the mechanism of the medication. Because it is causing stimulation of a colon, the patients will feel some of that cramping. As I mentioned, I do find, that, find this helpful in kids who are withholding, because if they do feel some of that pain or discomfort, particularly in those kids who say they can't feel when they need to go to the bathroom, um, this will help cue them that they need to go sit on the toilet and possibly pass a bowel movement. In terms of the prescription medications, each has a different known side effect or array of side effects that are possible. Some lead to more GI distress, possibly, including um, nausea. Some lead to diarrhea. But overall, most of the medications are tolerated fairly well. Okay, thank you. Let's all move on to pitfalls, this time in management. What are the main pitfalls in management? The main pitfalls in management is that we just don't have great ways of determining outcomes always. And so a lot of times patients respond really well to the interventions, but we don't have perfect outcome measurements. And so we won't be able to say in a grand group of patients, which is the medication that's going to work the best. Um, Some patients respond better to one medication versus the other, and we don't know which those patients are going to be. Uh, We also don't know if a patient needs to be stooling 
three times a week, four times a week for them to feel better. There are other patients who need to be going every day for them to not have abdominal pain. Um, and so knowing what the symptoms are that we're treating is the most important thing because each patient is going to have a different symptom that bothers them the most. Um, and so that makes it trickier, particularly when we're thinking about doing trials and randomized control trials and medications to have the exact outcome and the um, results that we want. Okay, thank you. Uh, last question. What have we missed? What other common questions that we haven't covered are you asked by doctors about constipation in children? Yeah, so I think one of the main questions that's asked a lot, particularly with parents and younger children, is uh, two questions. What will be the long-term effects of these symptoms and um, the intervention? And also, should I be worried about something else? And so in terms of addressing those two questions, what I tell a lot of parents is that many kids will outgrow these symptoms as they get older, particularly the younger patients who are presenting between the ages of one to four or five will usually outgrow this as they get older, will be able to understand their body more, will be able to verbalize how they're feeling more, and it's easier to treat them as they get older. I do caution parents against not treating because if there is a lot of buildup of stool in the body, we do get concerned that this can affect the colon and maybe possibly at times stretch out the colon or make the colon not work as well. Also, not treating constipation can lead to other uh, symptoms for the patient, including pain, discomfort, not wanting to eat as well. And so I always do support um, further treatment if we feel like we're not doing a good job with our management. There are patients who will continue to have constipation as they get older, and I remind parents that many adults have constipation too, and that it's a common thing that we see in many, many people. It doesn't mean that there's something terribly wrong with the patient and that there is some awful thing that we are worried, which is understandably might be progressive and get worse. What we know is that constipation stay present and fluctuate and come and go in many patients, and this may happen with your child too. And so I try to encourage and reassure the parents that it's important to treat, but also not to worry excessively about it, as many of these children will continue to do well and thrive throughout their lifetime. Okay, thank you very much, Claire. And thanks to you all for listening. We hope that this has been helpful, and we hope you'll be able to put what you've learned into action to better diagnose and manage affected patients. If you want to find out more, click the link in the podcast to sign into BMJ Best Practice and look at the content on this and other relevant diseases. Thank you once again. <laughs>